As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, Sportsman Drag Racing. I am joined, as always, by my good buddy, Big Jed, Jared Pennington. Jed, how are you, sir? Luke, I am well. I appreciate you asking, and uh, things are really good right now. Um, it's still hot in Alabama. It was hot last week. It's still hot this week. Hot in uh, Illinois as well, yeah. There's a chance it's hot wherever you are, whoever's hearing this. Um, but uh, outside of that, man, just really getting geared up for the WFC. Uh, we're going to talk about that some here on the show, I'm, I'm excited about the crowd that we've got coming and the opportunity that uh, that we got to have a great event again for our 16th year in Bristol. So that's really cool. I'll leave. It, it's Tuesday of the week you're here in the show. I'll leave next Tuesday, so I won't be part of next week's show, as I mentioned in the show. But um, you can handle it, Luke. You always do an extremely good job. But outside of the WFC, there were some great performances. It was a fairly short schedule, but some great performances this week. No question. I'm going to go ahead and call my shot next week's show. I am going to, I'm going to do my best. No, I'm not going to do my best. I'm going to, I'm going to pull it off. We are yeah. going to talk with the $100,000 winner from the Byron Firecracker Nationals. That's I'm calling my shot. Oh, my, my hope in saying that is that I won't have to go far. I hope it's within my own house. I hope I'm able to <laughs> my wife. That'd be awesome. That would be cool. That would be fantastic. So go Jess. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what we'll try to do next week in your absence is uh, yeah, I guess you'll have a, You'll have a thing or two on your plate getting ready for WFC. To your point, Big Jed, we do preview WFC on this show uh, a little bit later in the show. Uh, and uh, and also to your point, 
a, not a huge weekend in terms of a bunch of races going on across the country that we'll talk about, but some excellent performances. Uh, the state of Florida dominated in the state yeah. of North Carolina. If you can figure that out, we'll, we'll follow <laughs> up on that. Um, a, a name that we are all familiar with, but we don't necessarily discuss all the time. Very nearly, Big Jed pulled off the rarest double in NHRA history. I think that's fair to say. We'll yeah, talk very. a little bit about Sean Langdon. Um, no surprise here, but Andy Schmall and Charlie Lockhart, good at racing. Um, they, they reaffirmed that belief over the weekend. And then at the end, we, uh, we have a little bit of fun. We, we go down this road. Is it time within big dollar bracket racing? Is it time to consider something akin to a gaming commission, like an oversight committee uh, that was brought to us by a listener. We go down that road a little bit. We have a little bit of fun with it. Uh, some food for thought here toward the end of the show. So all that and more, but first, he jizzle for Rizzle. All right, Luke. This is uh, this is one of those shows where we don't have a ton of racing to discuss, um, but there's enough, and then we got a, a a cool topic at the end of this. So it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a little bit short on race results, but uh, it'll be full of race talk. So let's start uh, with the biggest race on the schedule of the weekend, and that's the the Galat 75K from uh, the folks at Loose Rocker. They, they had the, the Bigfoot foot break race last weekend. And they follow that up in the next weekend with the, the 75K for the top bulb racers. And, uh, and it looked like a, a really good event. Uh, again, great place to race. And Loose Rocker knows what they're doing. Uh, and they do it at a high level. So it like all in all, they had a really good race. But Luke, um, Florida, it's like they just invaded the place. I mean, they, they dominated this event. I don't know if you heard big jed ray ray is back <laughs> ray ray is back everybody's back except me but you had to get there to get back so that's <laughs> probably, that's what's going on with me but yeah ray ray is back he showed out he's him the him is tim ray ray miller former nhra world champion former million dollar race winner obviously no stranger to the winner circle but it's been you know uh, especially on the bracket tour, it's been a little bit since we since we said Ray Ray's name. He's been showing out in uh, NHRA Supercomp for the last couple of years. He can still bracket race, Big Jed, uh, to the tune of seventy five thousand dollars richer. He knocks off Troy Williams Jr. in the final of the main event um, at the Loose Rocker event at Galat. As if that weren't enough to solidify uh, his presence on the weekend, Ray Ray drives. Uh, returns to the final on the uh, the next day, the last day of the event, uh, and lays down 10 total for the L opposite uh, Kobe Fuller. It looked like there was a lot of that going on at Galat too. It looked like uh, it looked like good runs galore. Yeah, it was crazy, Luke. Um, I mean, if you follow Loose Rocker on Facebook, they were doing a great job of of publicizing this and making sure that everyone was aware. But you know, you had Gary Williams first round in the weekend each day and now this is two two days back to back perfect runs in his first two rounds and the interesting part was was Gary did it going 539 at 124 
on one run and 536 at 122 on the other run. So just, you know, I know that's not a huge difference, but when you break that down, it just, again, shows how talented GW is. And we know perfect runs have a fair amount of luck involved in them. Uh, nobody really is intending to do that. But when you are executing your plan, and he did this one time when his opponent was red, he still executed his plan and went down there and did what he was going to do had it been a close race. It just shows that, that the guy is super aware of where he needs to be and when he needs to be there and lays down perfect back-to-back, -back, which is truly incredible. And he was just uh, – uh, he was only 40% of the perfect runs of the weekend, Luke. There were five <laughs> of those. Is that a lot? Now, now you go – I mean, you go in racing and, and not see one of these sometimes all year personally. And you go to a lot of races, and then you're at the loose rocker race at Galat, and you see five in a weekend, and one guy does it twice. It's unbelievable how – the perfect runs just kept happening over and over and over. And the racing, as you said, while perfect's unbeatable, there were a lot of great runs that come up short. That was a tight, tight race. Great racetrack, very consistent. The, the air was consistent. The tree, the timing system, all of that stuff worked perfectly for the racers, and they took full advantage of it and was just absolutely laying down killer runs. Just for context, Big Jed, you've been doing this close to 40 years. How many times have you got it right? Uh, I've never made a perfect run where I was triple zero and dead on with a zero. My only perfect runs, and there was two of them, came in the days prior to the timing systems being so, um, I guess, correct. You uh, are dating yourself, Jed, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Explain. Yeah, so used to way back when 501 was a perfect reaction. You could be 0 0.500, but it could be red or green back in the early days. So 501 was considered perfect. If you had a 501, that was perfect. If you had a 500 and it fell green, you wasn't considered perfect. You was considered lucky because it you know, no, you were perfecter it was good to fail red so i uh i did have a couple of those 501 and dead on reaction time uh, et combinations back in the early days but i have never done it i've laid down one total on the new timing systems a couple of times but i've never laid down perfect in almost 40 years of racing loop i've done it twice so 30 years of racing, I don't know. Gosh, I hate to even count up. Over 10,000 laps, over 10,000 attempts. I got it right twice. That's, that's not a high percentage. <laughs> um, what's the, th this comes to mind, like this, I've got the right answer. So I guess I'm throwing you a, a no win question. Like what's the, 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 for lack of a better term, the damnedest thing you ever seen? I saw a 1,000 package lose once. Yeah. And it's no surprise who was in the other lane. It was Scotty that made the perfect run, but that's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I saw that run. Uh, I saw a uh, snapshot of it, uh, but I, I haven't seen that in person. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that would be, 
that would be pretty uh pretty devastating pretty frustrating but you have to just laugh and move on five perfect runs at one event two of them by the same guy and, and it just happening every day like it was no big deal that's uh might not ever see that again you mentioned you led this off with florida domination and we're gonna go ahead and let florida claim ray ray right because native floridian ray ray resides in tennessee these days has for i don't know better part of a decade i think yeah i'd say around 10. yeah florida still claims him and if we allow florida to claim ray ray florida went to north carolina and just kind of took everything right <laughs> Gage really birch did. wins day one uh ray ray over troy williams jr another Floridian day two, uh, Kobe Fuller, who I think is a Georgia native, South Georgia, Florida spit him up, but he's pretty close <laughs> over Ray Ray on day last combine that with two perfect runs from Gary Williams. Like just about everything I saw from this event, see, it felt like it came from the state of Florida. Yeah. For good reason. Uh, it was obviously dominated by, by people that maybe lived there or got very, uh, close ties to Florida. So, um, no surprise. Um, you know, it's a, it's a talented, talent rich state and, uh, and the sport that we love, but these, uh, these guys that, that you mentioned that won, um, they went everywhere. So no offense to anybody that was in North Carolina, these guys do it all over the country anytime they're there. So that, that's just what they do. So don't feel like you were defeated per se by, uh, some oddity. They do it a lot. Yeah. Does that, that, Florida crew. I mean, we talked about this before, like specific to Bradenton Motorsports Park, like that we came to the conclusion, like that's the one facility in the country that over the course of the last, what, four decades at any given time could probably have legitimate claim to the quote unquote best racer in the country. I mean, there's some pushback on that, but you could make a legitimate argument for Tim Butler, followed by Kenny Underwood, followed by either Troy or Gary Williams followed by Gage Birch, like the, 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 the hits just keep coming from, from that area, that geographically diverse area, like that, that feels like a really difficult place to go do bracket racing on a large scale from, uh, and yet, you know, time and time again, that, that, that history seems to keep repeating itself. Yeah. And you got guys like John Siegel that don't get out a whole lot. That's capable and, and really, if if it wasn't for Nick Hastings, you know, Gage could easily be considered the best bottom bulb racer. He doesn't travel to a lot of the bottom bulb stuff. He he hits the top, I think, quite a bit when he's given the opportunity. But this young man is super, super talented on the bottom bulb and can race with anyone. So Florida could lay claim to the best in in any class, they certainly have motorcycles uh, taken care of. I mean, they, they've got the motorcycle world championship wrapped up for the next two decades and have won it for the past two decades. Uh, I say that tongue in cheek. I know there's been other champions from other areas, but Florida is very talent rich in the motorcycle. So they could lay claim to the best in any category, really, if they just wanted to boast that. That's a, that's a state full of great racers someone if there if we still have an ohioan that listens to the podcast he or she is just steamed up right yeah now. i mean right. teeth clenched <laughs> what about us <laughs> talking about hastings where's he from right. yeah that's true well you do have the best bottom bulber that's ever done it so congrats <laughs> ohio so you got that right? <laughs> all right moving on uh 
the the Super Pro 75 grander at Calat, obviously the, the headline event of the weekend. As we mentioned last week, there were a handful of, uh, of regional you know, bracket races that were a, a big deal, at least regionally throughout the country. We'll touch on them briefly, just, I guess, uh, standout performances from a, from a few of those. First off, Andy Small won again. That seems really? to happen with a great deal of regularity. It was the, the final seven grander of the uh, the triple seven series in Eddyville, Iowa. Uh, that series, I believe, put on by Thomas Gall, and it sounds like it's really um, gaining traction. Andy graces the winner's circle yet again, uh, winning the last day there. Uh, beat, uh, I believe it was Tucker Cancelar in the final, whose uh, whose father Josh had won. Uh, the main event the day prior. So big weekend for the Cancellars as well and continued success for one Andy Schmall. So the Cancellars were, they did move to Tennessee, but I, I guess if he was racing in Eddieville, he either goes back and forth or Tucker's gone back to Iowa. Yeah, I'm, I was thinking the same thing. My assumption is that they've moved back, but I don't know that. Either way, um, I'm sure he didn't ride back to Iowa to just race from Tennessee. So I'm guessing they, at, at worst, they just travel back and forth. But what about Andy Schmall? I mean, you mentioned a couple of shows ago that Andy Schmall is good at racing. And he continues to prove you right, Luke. I, I did see him holding the $7,000 check there from Eddieville on Facebook. And uh, I'm out of words. I mean, I really am. What do you say about Andy anymore? Just congrats. Uh, keep doing what you're doing, Andy. It's truly incredible and fun to watch, man. Uh, just, this guy is something special for sure. Yeah, and to our earlier point, um, I don't know if this win was off the top, the bottom. It's hard to decipher the difference as well as Andy hits the bottom. Um, so either way, pretty impressive stuff. Uh, yes. Another pretty impressive performance from the weekend. How about Charlie Lockhart? Um, I know he started the year red hot. It's not that he's cooled off. He's just been racing locally for the last month or two. He's been winning a lot between Gleason and Paducah. Um, this past weekend, $10,000 winner at the Kentucky Bottom Ball Bash and Paducah. And if I don't think that that really encapsulates the weekend that Charlie put together in, uh, in his little S10. He was runner-up in Friday's gambler's race. I think it was a two or three grander. Runner-up to Javen Androff um, in the first 10 grander they ended up running two tens on saturday in the first one charlie advanced to the semifinals before he turned it red opposite seth lancaster who went on to win and then in the last race of the weekend charlie wins the final 10 grander so basically his worst performance in the three events semis it's pretty good yeah um charlie's good at racing as well and um you know he continues to to put up great performances charlie uh, travels around a fair amount and uh, and does his share of winning on the big stages. And certainly I'm sure that he was excited to have some great racing around home. This is his home track where he's a, a threat at all times. I think last year, if I remember correctly, Charlie won the, the top and the bottom points championship at this track, bottom bulbing in both categories and, you know, comes out and gets 10 grand win there at home really special for him and and outside of that win put on a great performance the rest of the weekend so happy for charlie uh, happy for seth lancaster uh david bell a lot of great performances uh were were going on there at uh, at beacon and um you know some usual winners but um i was gonna know, throw I, this at you speaking of, of david bell you probably know this, Jed, as well as you know, David, and as much as you follow the bottom bulb crowd, 
I would have not guessed this in a million years, but following that first event final round where Seth Lancaster beat David Bell, which, oh, by the way, David Bell, it's like 11 take five. Lancaster was 10 total, right? Yeah. That was kind of a summary of the, the day for the most part. Like it was nasty, nasty. It was, it was Galat all over again, Big Jet, a really low car count, like a, a, a concerningly low car count. I, I was there, there was maybe, I don't think there were 50 race cars on the grounds. And with double entries, there might've been, I don't know, 70, 75 entries in race one. Like it was a dismal turnout and, and kudos to the staff there. They did everything that said they were going to do. They ran a great race. They paid every dime of it, but still concerning, right? From the bottom ball community. But David Bell, to your point, he A, with all due respect to Charlie Lockhart, with all due respect to Seth Lancaster, like David Bell was to me watching like the most impressive dude start to finish throughout that event. I, I never saw him leave the starting line red, and I never saw him leave the starting line worse than 21. Like, really, really impressive. And so after the, the first race final, I was talking to David and he says, Yeah. You know, I, I tried to talk Seth into splitting even just given my final round record, you know, but he didn't want to do that. I'm like, yeah, what do, what do you mean? Oh, he, David Bell tells me, hey, man, I've never won a 10 grander. What? <laughs> wow. No, I, I can't, I can't win 10 grand finals. And I don't, he may have given me the number, but I was so floored by it. Like, I think he's over like 10. Wow. Is that not ridiculous? Like how I would assume that dude had won a dozen of them. Yeah, I would have too. Yeah. That is uh, an alarming or stunning stat for sure. I never would have dreamed that for David. So, um, and it sounded like he rattled off not, you know, eight or 10 stories, but he rattled off enough where, like, on more than three or four occasions, he made the run that he made in the final at Paducah, like 11 take five, and keeps losing. <laughs> it's just, it defies <laughs> all logic. Bad beats for him, but uh, he, yeah. he'll he'll turn that around, I'm sure. And uh, he did drive really well, as you said. And that's typical of David. That's you know he ain't named Double O David Bell for nothing. This guy makes killer runs, but uh, he he he'll come up a little short there. But when you make a run like that, again, that's that's one of those deals you just gotta shrug it off and say it just wasn't your day. But uh, I'm sure David will get his share soon. Could get it at Bristol soon. So we'll yeah, see how uh, that works I, out. I, yeah. That, that would surprise no one. Um, the other uh, event that I thought worth touching on from the weekend was uh, one of our favorite event names. That was the, the Mutt and Jeff showdown up at uh, New Media. Um, you can go through the results one by one if you want there. What stood out to me, I think Jesse Alberts made a couple of finals. Timmy Markaglue was in another final, came up just short in the uh, $20,000 main event to Bill Maroon. Uh, those were the two names that jumped off the page to me. Yeah, as you mentioned, Jesse Alberts had a good uh, good outing. Marty Flagel is was you know seemingly the talk of this event. Marty gets the no box win on Thursday. Uh, the the um, top bulb runner up, and then Friday, oh, wow. uh, then Friday didn't make any finals, but come back on Sunday to get the no box win over Kyle Core. Um, pretty strong weekend for Marty Flagel and. You know, a lot of people are not going to know who Marty is, uh, not because he's not well known. He just doesn't get out as much these days. He stays around home. He used to travel quite a bit. He stays around home these days. But obviously, they have great races like this, and he gets an opportunity to compete in them. But 
Marty is a bad, bad man on the bottom bulb. I don't know if he was in the family S10, which is a beautiful piece, or the family Chevy 2, which is a as beautiful piece. But uh, either way, he performed extremely well and, uh, and happy to see the Flagel family have a great outing there at the, at the Mutt and Jeff. Really cool stuff. On the NHRA Tour, Big Jet NHRA's Camping World Series made its way to Bristol, Tennessee, a track that you are very familiar with for their annual national event, where I think it's fair to say the big story was a, a name that we're all familiar with, but we don't necessarily talk about a whole lot. Sean Langdon nearly pulled off Big Jed, what I think would have to be deemed the rarest double ever. He was one round away. Sean was the super comp winner at Bristol and a runner up in top fuel. I was just trying to think off the top of my head. I came up with four names. There might be more. Obviously, no one's ever done that. No one's ever won top fuel and super comp at the same event. I'm not sure. Outside of Billy Torrance, I'm pretty sure Billy's done it. I'm not sure anyone else has ever entered Super Comp and Top Fuel at the same event. And I was trying to go through a list. I came up with four names. Um, well, three names plus Billy Torrance and Sean Langdon that I'm confident have entered Top Fuel at an NHRA national event and have entered Super Comp at an NHRA national event. Not necessarily the same event, but drivers that have, that have even competed in both classes. I came up with three names. I'm curious. There's probably more. I'm curious off the top of your head, can you think of anyone that you know has driven both cars? Oh, goodness. Uh, no, I really can't think of, I mean, seem like the sportsman ranks, you know, maybe a Spencer Massey, or I guess there's a chance maybe Antron could have done it in the early days, maybe a Clay Milliken, but Nobody just jumps off the page at me. I'm almost certain you're right on Clay, and he wasn't on my list. Uh, I know. I remember Clay running IHRA Modified, but he also ran IHRA Quick Rod. I would say at some point he's probably entered an NHRA National Event Super Comp. That's a good one. Spencer Massey's actually a good guest, too, and I'd have to follow up on that. I know, obviously, we're familiar with Spencer today, bracket racing, and there was a time really at the, maybe even before or at the entry stages of his top fuel career where he bracket raced a dragster a fair amount. I don't remember him doing much super comp specifically, but it wouldn't surprise me if he had done that at some point. That's another good guess. The ones that I came up with, like I'd mentioned, Billy Torrance, um, Steve Torrance, you know, got his, got the start to his career in, in super comp. Like I'm actually old enough to remember racing against Steve-O in super comp back 20 years ago. Um, Troy Coughlin Jr. had a brief stint in Top Fuel a few years back and has multiple yes. national event wins in Super Comp. Um, and Dave Connolly had a brief stint in Top Fuel and in recent years hasn't really driven Super Comp specifically, but that's where his career kind of took off um, back in the Bullet <laughs> Motorsports days as well. So those are the names that jumped to mind to me. There's There might be a dozen more for all I know, but it seems... It seems rare. Like I never really seen anybody flirt with the super comp top fuel double. I thought that was worth mentioning. Yes, that is extremely rare. And obviously there's not a lot of people that's given themselves opportunity to do it, but Langdon being a former, uh, former champion in that category, you know, it, he doesn't get a whole lot of seat time doing that, but he does drive the dragster quite a bit. So I guess he was right at home. And again, those skills don't really transfer class to class. So it just shows a lot of talent and on his part and a lot of, uh, a lot of focus and ability. It was, it was really cool to see Sean 
you know, make both finals and almost get uh, an extremely difficult to get double. We should have Sean on the show just to answer that question that I think he gets asked like 50 times at every bracket race he goes to. Hey man, what's, what's it like compared to the top fuel car to your bracket car? I'd like to get Sean's take on that. Cause I think it's, I think it's pretty well rehearsed at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would think so. I'd say the bracket car don't blow the tires off near as often. <laughs> less, less chance for tire shake. You think yeah. maybe Yeah, bracket car typically does one burnout. The top fielder does two at times. <laughs> at times, at times, uh, <laughs> Langdon's super comp win, super impressive. Like you say, he's got a, a pair of national championships in that category to go along with his national championship in top fuel to go along with his national championship in junior drag. So he's a pretty accomplished dude. Um, but the, his route to uh, his path to victory at Bristol was tough. He was impressive throughout, uh, impressive in the final round, knocking off one John Labuse Jr. Labuse, how about his third consecutive NHRA national event, super comp final, not necessarily the last three NHRA national events, but the last three he has attended. He has been to the final uh, runner up in Charlotte win at Virginia and now runner up in Bristol. This runner up strengthens his chances. We've said before that the, the top of the heap in super comp is an absolute hornet's nest this year, as it was last year, as it, as it is most years, I guess it'd be fair to say Labuse leads the pack on the strength, uh, mainly of these three back to back to back finals. Um, I wouldn't, I don't even know if I'd go so far as to say he's the favorite, but he is the leader on paper right now. And he's definitely got his hat in the ring to add what would be a second national championship to his resume. Other notes from Bristol, Tyler Kahili, the win in top sportsman, uh, was his third national event win all of which have came at Bristol. I thought that was interesting. The two prior, both in Supercomp. He won Supercomp in 2012, Supercomp in 2018. He gets the top sportsman Wally here in 2022. Other uh, notable performance, I thought, from Bristol, Darren Poole Adams earns his second national event win of the season in his second national event appearance of the weekend. He ran the table at Charlotte. He runs the table at Bristol. He beat our buddy Bones, who turned it red in the final, a rare bottom ball Bones appearance. Yeah, very rare. Uh, Bones was down on himself. Uh, it, you know, his box score didn't look the way he wanted it to look. But as I've said many times, you, it's easy to sit and look at those results and go, oh, God, I kill these guys. But it's difficult when you don't uh, go up there with uh, with some regularity and, you know, you're doing this day to day. And again, the car leaves different and different air with this quadrajet. There's a whole lot going on there. So uh, I told him, man, be proud of yourself because uh, that's a tough, tough game. And when you do it as rarely as Bones does it, it makes it even more tougher. Uh, so he should be really proud of himself. Him and Langdon, as you know, Luke, are the best of friends. Uh, those guys are very close to one another. So they they almost did something really special that, that they wanted to do for a long time. Uh, I was pulling for him, but Darren Poole Adams, uh, great performance by him, uh, you know, two wins here i guess this is probably in a six or seven week span if i can't remember when the last one was but it was fairly recent uh, so really good for him and he's he's positioning himself well and uh, in the chase and tyler kahili uh, you know the third win third national win all of them at bristol i don't know tyler real well but i know who he is uh i know he doesn't travel a ton so he's probably given himself an opportunity to win at the Gators. He's probably given himself back when Atlanta was having a national events, an opportunity to win in Atlanta. 
and maybe Charlotte and maybe Bristol, but I doubt Tyler gives himself a whole lot of chances to win in other places, but something about Bristol is really special for him uh, getting his third win and all of them being in that, at that facility. So good for Tyler. He's a, uh, he's a good dude and uh, does a lot of great things in the junior dragster racing circle for, for those racers. So if any of you have uh, something stumping you or you just want to up your program a little bit, Tyler's your guy in junior dragsters. No question for the second consecutive weekend, big Jed NHRA division six up there in the Northwest. They tried the host uh, a Lucas Oil Series event for the second consecutive weekend. They were forced to postpone that event due to weather. Uh, it was Seattle a week ago. It was Mission British Columbia this week. I believe the Seattle event got canceled and is going to get moved elsewhere. Uh, my impression was that uh, the Mission event is going to try to be rescheduled at Mission. Uh, I actually believe that's the first time NHRA has been able to venture into Canada uh, since COVID. So several years now, um, yeah. look forward to, uh, to seeing that event come to fruition. I believe it was uh, rescheduled for some time in September. So we'll keep abreast of that. The one NHRA Lucas oil series event of the weekend that did happen was up uh, a mile high in, uh, in Denver, a couple of notable, um, results from that. How about the competition eliminator final? It was a sibling comp final where Christine Harris Samuel defeated her brother, Matt Harris in the competition eliminator final. You don't see that every day. I thought that was worth noting. Uh, also, I felt like the feel good story of the weekend, Big Jed, and maybe because I was I was fairly close to this, I was I was there in uh, at Mid America Dragway when uh, when Steve Steve Stockton lost control of his uh, beloved Vega and uh, and collected Scooter Hamlin in, in a pretty scary incident. Um, the first time that I've heard Steve's name since then, it's for much better reasons. Steve Stockton wins top sportsman at Denver. So congrats to Steve for getting back on the horse and, uh, certainly good to, uh, to see him hold the Wally there in his, uh, Bishop performance seafoam top sportsman entry. Um, only other notable that I had from, uh, Denver was, uh, in Supergas where Kevin Moore got the victory, big Jed. Um, but I think the the notable result there was Mike Boehner advanced to the semifinal and that semifinal finish actually uh, elevated Boehner, moved him atop the national point standings. Um, I think it's fair to say, I said this a week or two ago, uh, following his most recent victory, Austin Williams is still the favorite in Supergas, but Boehner keeps putting together solid performances and he's going to be a threat, uh, almost a definite um, top 10 finisher at this point, and, and certainly in the small group of contenders for this year's national championship. Yeah, Luke, um, impressive uh, list of results right there. The, the sibling comp final, that's, um, that, there's, that's rare, obviously, because that doesn't seem like you'll ever see siblings racing in that category together. Typically, that's a, you know, one family, one car type category so that's cool that, that that family made the final round um and uh, and the sister gets it done so matt uh, those bragging rights probably are stinging just a little bit sorry about that but about steve stockton um i think steve's from uh from wisconsin got it and wisconsin to denver sounds like like you can't get there can't Not get to one from the other yeah, it's sneakily not close. Yeah, so uh, that seems odd to me that that Steve would would have an entry in Denver in top sportsman. Well, but here's uh, the here's the problem, Big Jed. Wisconsin by the lay of the land, Division Five, Denver. 
Division Holy five. Smokes. Like Division five is the most geographically diverse. I say that it's the most geographically diverse division that I've ever, you know, competed within. I think six is actually similar, like really, really spread out. But yeah, the D five racers have to cover a lot of ground. And yeah, that that's hard to believe. That's the same division. I never knew that, Luke. So that well, that's remarkable for sure. But uh, really happy for Steve that uh, that incident that you discussed at, at yours and John Moggins' event um, certainly was something that nobody wants to see. And and I know Steve didn't either. So happy to see him getting back on the winning side of things. And uh, my boy Boner. You know, I obviously for those listening to the podcast for quite some time, remember that I used to think Steve Boehner's name was Steve Boner, which <laughs> I mean, let's I mean, I don't want to I don't want to be adolescent or whatever here, but uh, I hate to bust your bubble, Jed, but it's, it's Mike. What did I say, Steve? You did. I was thinking Steve Stockton. <laughs> yes, uh, definitely Mike. <laughs> I guess I was so hung up on the Boner uh, uh, part of it. <laughs> Better add that. But. Uh, yeah, Mike, Mike Boner. Uh, obviously, I used to think his name was Mike Boner. He, he showed up in the results a lot doing well. I was like, well, this Mike Boner guy gets after it. <laughs> you know, I mean, this old Boner name is like that, really, to, right? you know, yeah, Boner's really pounding them. You know, I mean, that, that guy's really doing good. Um, long win streaks at times, uh, but, uh, but it's Mike Boehner. And, uh, and Mike's my buddy. So really happy for him. Uh, as you said, A-Dub's still the favorite. But anytime you get up on top of the, the national points chase, at least this deep into the year, I feel pretty good. So Mike's doing really well. Uh, sorry for calling you Steve, Mike. But, uh, good stuff there, Luke. Uh, and that's, that's really, that's, that's the bulk of race results for the past weekend. Like you said, we're a little bit uh, light on results. We've got some other things to talk about, uh, just briefly on the horizon for this coming week, what we'll probably be discussing on next week's show. We've got the, uh, the firecracker nationals, annual firecracker nationals at Byron Dragway. One of my favorite events. I will be in attendance this weekend. The uh, headliner of that event is Saturday's $100,000 to win main event. It'll be flanked by a pair of 30 grand. Um, looks like it's going to be a beautiful weekend. So we'll be covering that to some extent on next week's show. Um, the, uh, the great American bracket race series, um, comes returns to Holly Springs motorsports park over the coming weekend as well with the all American bracket classic, um, highlights kind of a, a pretty busy stretch for the bottom bulb crowd. We talked about how there was a light turnout at, uh, at Galat. There was a light turnout at Paducah. I think, um, Part of the reason to that is it's back to back to back, like mega bottom bulb races. You've got those two events uh, followed by this event at Holly Springs, which is a, I think it's two 20 granders on the top, two 15 granders on the bottom. And then obviously the following week, the, the WFC, the World Footprint Challenge, your event in Bristol. So a lot of opportunities for the traveling bottom bulb racer. And I think we've hit that point um, in, the, in the season or the economy or what have you, where I think, I don't think it's limited necessarily to the bottom bulb community jet. I think it's kind of across the board that when it's one thing for races to go head to head, right. On the same weekend, but when we're back to back to back to back like that, I, I think now probably more than ever, it's fair to say that more racers are just taking a step back, picking and choosing, um, and, and rather than trying to make all of those events saying like, Hey, I can make one or two and, and I'm going to select this one for any variety of reasons. Uh, yeah, Luke, I definitely think, you know, that's it's a, I don't want to 
necessarily say a different class of racer, but it's a different style of racer. Your, your bottom bulb racers are typically racers that work for someone. They're more blue collar in a lot of cases, certainly on the big money scene. So I think, you know, some of the economic challenges that we have uh, might be hitting them just a little bit harder than some business owners. Because quite frankly, I, I work for a very successful Caterpillar dealer and we're setting records. Um, the place is booming and, and business is incredible. So I think business owners are doing quite well still in a lot of markets, but your, your bottom bulbers are not just full. The, the pits are not full of those. So I think they're definitely having to pick and choose, Luke. And, um, you know, usually you see them, if, if you got good events with good weather, they, they will typically flood those early in hopes of maybe doing well and going to the ones on the backside also. But, um, you know, based on our pre-entry count for, the, for next week's World Footbreak Challenge, um, it looks like a lot of people might have bypassed an event or two to come to Bristol. And, you know, just we, we feel very, very, very fortunate that uh, the, the racers have helped make the WFC what it is in a destination type event. And, and people are choosing to, to go there. I'm not saying they're choosing it over any other event. Uh, I certainly wouldn't try to. I'll say it. that. Like it's, it's your fault, Jed, you and Steve. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, uh, if, if this is going to be the result, we'll, we'll take that. We'll take that blame. Well, I mean, with, with that in result. mind, like, I think you're rightfully bullish on the upcoming WFC and obviously it's not this coming up weekend, but by the time that racers hear this, these words, um, will be less than a week away from what is this? The 16th. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, today is no, the, the 16th annual. Oh, the 16th race. Yes. Yes. 16th annual world yes. Cup challenge. So give us a little bit update. What, what's on tap? What can racers expect at Bristol? Much the same that we've seen for years past Luke over these, uh, these 15 previous years, you know, it's been a wonderful event. Uh, this year, the car count will not look like it has in recent years. We had 552 years ago. We had 547 for our high count last year. We will not get there, but considering everything that's going on, we're, we're, we're feeling very fortunate and very blessed. We've got uh, 255 and on our pre-entry count as of right now at the time of recording, and this is a uh, Tuesday night, the night before our final pre-entry deadline where you can enter and save some money. So, that number, if the forecast is good, will translate probably 350 to 400, and um, that'll be that'll be a great race to us, and we're we're very excited about uh, the possibility of of having that kind of crowd in Bristol. Um, you know, the event has over ten thousand dollars in giveaways from our sponsors through round prizes and specialty uh, or special awards. Uh, so we're, we're thankful to have a great group of sponsors that continue to support our racers. Um, traditionally, um, we, we've had ice cream for every racer that chooses to buy back. We will have that once again this year. Uh, so everybody that buys back gets ice cream, courtesy of our great friends at Third Amber Racewear. They'll be on site there as well. To, to show you all the great things they're doing through uh, shirts and tags and all kind of fun stuff. 
Um, we've got a $500 cash prize for the best package of the weekend from Threesome Auto Center. Uh, those guys supported us the last couple of years for that best package. The facility is amazing. The equipment's great. You know, it's summertime. We could get a shower, could get some issues. And those guys have great equipment and great experience. They get it cleaned up in a hurry and get us back to go back to action, get us back going. So feel fortunate there. We've had quite a bit of rain over our 15 years, but we've only lost three days of racing in 15 years. So um, we, we feel blessed that, that that's the case. And we know a, a, a big part of that is uh, the facility that we're at with the, the people and the equipment and Bristol does it, you know, very well with jet dryers and all those things. So scenery is beautiful. It's unlike any other facility. Uh, Bristol's great for the camera. So if you're coming, bring the camera. We'll have ice cold water in the staging lanes for all of the racers. Uh, we keep that ice down, keep it good and cool for them. So They'll, uh, they'll be able to get them a nice cool drink in the staging lanes. You ain't got to wish you brought a bottle of water. You can just step right up there under the tower and grab you a, a bottle or two and cool yourself down while you're waiting in the lanes. Um, really good announcers. Uh, we've got uh, Ryan Gleghorn. We've got Jake Hodge. We'll have some uh, guest announcers. JJ, of course, will be on the, the staff there. So uh, we'll, we'll be relaying the, uh, the information to the people watching uh, the Motormania TV live feed from our great friends at JEGS. Uh, they'll be getting all that information from a, a really talented announcing staff, a, a friendly staff at Colbert Racing Promotions and Bristol. Uh, second round winners get paid, Luke. We did that many years ago and it's been very popular. So, you know, all you gotta do is turn on that second round win light and you start getting some of your investment back. The purse is 100% guaranteed every penny of it top to bottom don't have to worry about that we've got gamblers races we've got a lot of fun things in store and uh, the place has showers and great parking so you know if you just wanted to to bring the it gets really nice there in the evenings and at night um you know we're even when you get 85 degree temperatures you get uh, some low 60s for the lows so it gets really nice you can sleep in the trailer just keep yourself cool with a fan and uh, get up in the morning and shower in the shower house. And you don't have to have the hotel and you're right there with your equipment. We just really think Bristol itself uh, lends itself to, to a great racer's experience. And, um, you know, how, obviously we do our best to contribute to that too, Luke, and, and try to make it as fun as we can. And uh, with the, with the pre-entry count that we've got, again, we feel extremely fortunate to have uh, this kind of support in, in these kind of times. And, um, you know, our, our friends at BT have been with us all 16 years that Steve and I have been doing it. It's been our only title sponsor. And uh, it's truly a blessing uh, that that company stuck with us from the start. So uh, this race is amazing. It, it certainly has changed my life and, and, and just made me see things from a, a different perspective in racing and certainly the success of it has has been great for me and my family and it's uh you know it's allowed um, my wife to be able to stay home and be a, a, a stay-at-home mom and and raise kids and and do all those things so uh it's a blessing and uh, and i can't thank everybody enough for all of the support over the years and i'm looking forward to, to year 16 seeing more of it you guys have definitely built an event that checks 
all the boxes hearing you talk about it makes me want to go to Bristol, Jed. It's been a few years and it is an awesome, awesome race. So uh, kudos right. to you. Look forward to, uh, to keeping up with you guys throughout. And I think it's fair to say, Jed, like if I, if I zoom out just a little bit, um, I'm growingly convinced almost by the week that we are perhaps at the front end, but I feel as if we're in the midst of a, of a, a reckoning, if you will, within big dollar bracket racing, probably an inevitable reckoning, right? We've said for years that look, the, the market as a whole has been oversaturated for a while and, and, and the racers have supported that, right? The demand has been huge. Um, and we've been around this long enough to know that that's cyclic, right? I think it's, uh, undoubtedly, uh, uh, undoubtable at this point to say that that, um, cycle hasn't been sped up a little bit by a, a, a fairly lackluster economy. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I, I think regardless, this was going to, to, to cycle back around now in that I don't have a, a bit of concern for events like yours for events like uh, this, the, the fling series, I, I honestly, like the buzz that I'm hearing, I have zero concern for the SFG 500 at Michigan next weekend. Like, it seems like everyone I talk to is, is heading to that race. Uh, I think it's going to be big. Um, but could you imagine take, you know, you, cause we're not far removed from this, like, or at least not in our minds, like go back to where you were 16 years ago. Could you imagine being an unproven race promoter? with a, a, an unproven event and trying to wade into these waters today? No, I really couldn't, Luke. Uh, you know, I, I have my share of, uh, of anxiety and things, even when I know it's going to be good, because that doesn't necessarily relieve the pressure when you know it's going to be good, because that just means you got more customers that that you better do everything you're supposed to do and make sure that you give them the experience they're paying for. And we take that very, very serious. Uh, it does beat the alternative though, of not having that kind of crowd. So if I were entering into the, the, the scenario that you just laid out, uh, and I, I don't, I mean, I did it, I did it way back when, but not in this kind of economy, it was year two. When I, and I've said this many times, year two was almost the end of the WFC because we did 50 grand of the first year. As you know, you were in the final. We did 50 grand the second year and we had 182 racers there the second year. And it was a, it was one of those things where we, we just got out of there by the skin of our teeth and, and barely made it out without getting hurt significantly. And it was just a couple of things fell our way and we got a couple of breaks so we changed the event up quite a bit to, to, I guess, be a little more accommodating to more people. And it's worked out well for us. But I paid four sixty nine a gallon for diesel on the way to Bristol in year two. I won't ever forget that amount. And I put it in my truck and I thought, my God, how are people going to, to be able to race? And now we're five sixty nine average. And people are still racing. It's not the numbers that we have seen in the, in the greatest economy or economic conditions we've had, but people are still continuing to race. So I'm not, obviously I think people's money are, is flowing a little better than, than it did back in 2008. And, uh, and I think uh, people are probably a little more resilient by nature, just, you know, because of um, 
how good the economy's been and they they just maybe have stockpiled some up and they're just going to go do it anyway. But if I were again entering the scenario that you laid out to begin this part of the discussion, I ain't sure that I mean, hell, let's just be honest. I ain't sure I get off the toilet. Like, I mean, I I might just stay there for, you know, a, a week or so straight. Uh, my stomach would be in knots. Uh, and I'm not trying to scare anyone or any promoters or any of those things. This is me personally, just how I deal with these types of things. And that's where I would be. Kudos to to anyone still uh, going forward and pressing on and doing their thing. I'm, I'm super proud of you. And I wish I could be that guy. But uh, I would. I'd be a little bit tore up probably. Yeah, agreed. Like I I'm, I'm pretty, I I think of myself as being pretty conservative in nature. Like I would have significant reservations about delving into this business at this point in time. And, and I don't, I hate to even say that because I don't want to deter anyone from trying, but man, the timing seems difficult. Like I say, the established races, the established promoters are going to be just fine. Like there'll be some ups and downs that I, that I I'm confident that they'll weather. But uh, but for uh, for someone just starting out, and it's a it's a it's a rough ask right now, and and without seemingly like who knows exactly what the future brings, but uh, seemingly without relief in sight, that actually um, transitions us to some extent into the the last topic that I've got for you, Big Jed. And admittedly, it's it's a bit of a slow week results wise, and and this came through from a hashtag loyal listener, and I thought it was a great jumping off point for discussion. I don't. Let me preface this by saying, I don't think that we're going to have the answers today, but I want to bat it around a little bit. And if nothing else, put the bug in the ear of our listeners. Um, I'd love to hear your feedback on this. And maybe this is something that uh, we plant the seed now and uh, come off season, you know, after we get to think about this, all of us, listeners and, and, and ourselves included for a few months, um, we dive back into this discussion in a little bit more vigor, but I'll, I'll preface this by saying this came from, I don't think that Chris will mind me calling his name, but, uh, this comes from hashtag loyal listener, uh, Chris Cadle. And, and if you've listened to this podcast for long, been around sports and racing, you're probably familiar with that name. Chris is a pretty decorated, um, big dollar bracket racer in his own right. And basically, uh, what Chris is proposing is similar to, okay, you go, you go gambling in a casino. And you've got the um, assurance of something called, like, for lack of a better term, like the gaming commission, right? Something that it, it's big brother looking over the shoulder of the casinos, making sure that everything possible is on the up and up. Like you are getting as fair a shake as you can get as a, a gambler, so to speak, in, in the casino. Uh, translate that to the the highest levels of big dollar bracket racing, because at least the way that I look at it, like it's not all that different. Like we're we're gambling on a, on a pretty high stakes level. Right. And so Chris's idea was, wouldn't it be awesome if there was some sort of independent organization, if you will, whether you call that a a commission or a, a sanctioning body or what have you to basically oversee everything that goes on at sanctioned big dollar racing events and some of the things that that this commission so to speak could potentially uh, assure uh, racers of is that hey i'm going to this race regardless of who the promoter is the the commission basically says hey the funds are there the the purse is guaranteed right you're going to race for what's on the flyer regardless of how many people show up the maybe there's some sort of checkpoint saying that uh, 
the timing system is quote unquote true or up to date. You know, you, you can't necessarily prepare for everything, but you can make sure like, Hey, the, the T's are crossed, the I's are dotted, right? Maybe it's uh, maybe it includes like, there are no, there are no house cars, right? There's no funny business uh, on behalf of the promoter. Maybe it doesn't, right? They, people have different feelings about that. Um, overall competition oversight, right? Like uh, it could be, this is policing that, you know, if, if you're selling double entries, most flyers at, at this point in time say, you know, no racer or car can go down the track more than twice around. Maybe there's an actual policing of that, which happens at some events, doesn't necessarily happen at others, right? We can attest to that, uh, that it, and polices that racers, which I think this is much more rare, but racers aren't going down the track again after being defeated or after not buying back or something like that. And what Chris alluded to is whether this is actually completely accurate or not, um, I would agree with him in that he said, you get this sense when you go to an NHRA event that there is, there is a, an increased focus on fair play. Like there is no funny business. NHRA is kind of detached from the proceedings and we've got a very strict set of rules that no one is above. And again, whether that's completely accurate or not, like that is the perception. And I think perception is reality. And by and large, a lot of the big dollar bracket races veer from that pretty significantly. I mean, we've called it the wild, wild west before. Would there be value to some type of oversight committee? Let's just take that first, because actually putting it into place is, is a little bit different discussion that we can dive into. But in your mind, Big Jed, would there be value to something like this? Some arbitrary third party that basically came in and, and assured you like, Hey, you're going to get what you pay for. You're going to get everyone on the grounds is guaranteed a fair shake by X committee. Well, shout out to Chris Cato. Uh, Chris is my buddy and shout out to Cato customs and, uh, want to get me one of them helmet paint jobs at, at some point that I've been seeing. So I, there's my shameless little reach for, for help and attention. Makes too um, <laughs> but, uh, Luke, there's absolutely value. Um, uh, you know, I, what what that really means in totality, I don't have a good feel for that right now. But just in the the few little bullet points that are listed here on our show notes, yeah, there, there's a lot of value in that. Uh, as a racer and promoter, I can see value from both sides. I, I'm fortunate to have a a view from each side of the fence here. And um, I certainly could see where Chris's idea uh, would create a consistent environment across events that that racers could believe in and trust. And certainly, you know, being a third party and, and no specific tie to a promoter or event gives them that uh, that arbitration um, impact that, that, you know, I think would be very valuable and appreciated by the racers because you, you do hear, you know, I'll ask you buddy and he did this, or, you know, sometimes your buddy expects you to do something that everybody doesn't get to do that, that happens at races. So uh, that, that third party just certainly, uh, opens itself up for, uh, a lot of consistency across events and some assurance from the racers that 
uh, like you say, the timing system is true and the funds are there and, you know, and there's no funny business on entries and so on and so forth uh, that, you know, uh, again, I'm not sure how much more successful it can make the events. I'm not sure how it translate into entries, but it definitely makes sure that that the event is on the up and up and that uh, the racers are all living by the same standards. And, you know, I, I don't know what that would cost the promoters and how you get that, you know, the end user has to ultimately pay for it. So how you get that in the entry fees, you know, is it, is it $5 an entry, whatever it is, but I think it definitely has value to it. And it's a very interesting idea, something I never really thought about, but uh, really good thought there from Chris. No, it's uh, it, it is interesting. Cause that was, that was going to be my next question. And my first thought was, okay, well, who funds something like this? Because initially I thought, this really has to come from the the promoter. And what is the, what's the selling point for the promoter? Like if I was unknown, unproven and putting on a hundred thousand dollar race, like something like this, if it was established could give my race a lot of credence, but what's the selling point to you and Steve or to, to Peter Biondo? Like the reason that your races and fling events are successful is because you've built up that equity with your clientele, right? You don't necessarily need someone from the outside to come in and, and guarantee that. And then I thought about it a little bit more. And I think the answer you touched on it, this gets funded by the racers. Like I would have zero um, concern about spending an extra $5 a day or $5 a tech card or whatever that may be to have something like this in place at every event. Like as much as I trust you, as much as I, as I trust basically the, the promoters of any event that I'd go to, just having a unbiased third party, big brother overlooking everything, like I would feel better about all of it, right? And and not even so much the fact that I think that promoters are are out to get anyone. You know, as well as I do, Jed, like you get spread very, very thin on a race weekend. Like if you yeah. could just say like, okay, I don't really have to worry about X, Y, Z in terms of the competition aspect of this, because this commission is overseeing all this, like that would be really freeing. And I think it'd be good for everybody. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, and you know, the, the, as you said, the, the extra five or $10 a tech card or whatever, you know, if, if you plan on a successful event that probably takes care of enough of the the fee from the gaming commission that it makes it worth doing but you know you and i appreciate the kind words you you talk about steve and i and our events and the credibility they've established and all these things but look this is this is a live timing type deal enough people does it you got to do it it doesn't matter if you built up that credibility or or your reputation is is solid or any of those other things. Um, if enough other events choose to do this, your your hand is forced and you have to to get that consistency in place. Especially if if you can see this improves the quality of the events that they're involved in. Um, and quite frankly, you'd want it because it uh, you know. You, you've got, I don't know what all the gaming commission looks like, but if there's a, you know, some kind of decision maker there and, and they're making sure the rules are enforced, it, it does kind of remove you from some difficult situations. Um, and, and again, creates consistency 
between events as opposed to those of us just doing it the way we think is right. Now, I'd certainly as a promoter want to want to go over those things prior and make sure that that they're aligned with what we're trying to accomplish and the experience we're trying to create for our customer. But if they did, yeah, I think it'd be a solid investment from from our promotion efforts and everyone else's. I, I really think the idea is very interesting and um, would love to see somebody, you know, at least attempt it. Yeah, that that becomes the real sticking point, because in theory, I love all of this. In practice, like the question becomes, okay, who does it, right? And and I kind of, I, I liken this in some sense to, if you remember, Jed, within the last probably two, three years, any time that the, the, the cheating discussion really, really blazes up, I say, you know, there's an opportunity here. Like somebody needs to come in and get a, a three-person crew and basically offer a comprehensive tech service. A, a traveling roadshow to come into these bracket races, you could charge a lot, I think. Like, and I think promoters would be willing to pay to to basically again have like an unbiased third party to to check cars, to make to to put everyone at ease and and, and make you feel as though you're you're getting the fair shake, especially the which I what I think is a vocal minority, the the racers that are convinced that everyone that wins is up to something, right? Like it would yep. I think it would put it would quell that to some degree. The problem is, much like this gaming commission, like someone or, in a, or, or some group of people has to head this up, and it has to be someone that is a knowledgeable about this particular niche of our sport, that B has significant credibility within this particular niche of our sport, or could gain it really quickly, and C is unbiased. That means that he or she or them either don't race or don't race anymore. Like, so who wants to give up racing to head this up? That's the, that's the hurdle, right? <laughs> that, that would be the challenge. For one because I, I think like selfishly, I, I think I could pull this off. Like, I think this is, I, th- I think this is something I could head up and it could be successful, but I don't want to stop racing to do it. Heck no. So no, why would I want to go to the track the and be guaranteed to make money when I can yeah what would be, be the fun of that be guaranteed to lose it <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah but you know i mean you, there's a whole a whole big uh opportunity of things to to impact and you know a gaming commission would certainly be involved in excessive braking and uh safety violations and those type things so this this is a major undertaking i don't Uh, we we've made it sound somewhat simple but there is a lot of uh a lot of documentation here a lot of uh roundtable discussions i'm sure out of a group of experienced people and then um then you got to get somebody that that can go in and enforce it and talk to promoter into allowing them to do that so (laughs) that's a it's a major undertaking it's it's a really cool idea and it it probably has a ton of value if it's done the right way but uh, it's going to take somebody as you said willing to just separate themselves from the the on-track action and just be uh, an enforcement agency it is definitely a galaxy brain concept i think that we have just scratched the surface we would love to hear your thoughts what are the positives what are the negatives what are some things that a quote unquote gaming commission should concern themselves with or would concern themselves with? What part, what aspects of competition should they oversee? 
let us know. Reach out, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, I'd like to revisit this discussion. Maybe it's more of an off-season type thread, but uh, a few months down the road, uh, I think this could take off. Yeah, I agree, Luke. Great discussion. And thank you again, Chris Cato, uh, for, for sending that idea in. And uh, folks, if you've got ideas like that, or certainly some thoughts on this one, as Luke said, we'd love to hear from you. We've got the avenues for you to uh, respond to us and let you know what you're thinking. You can contact us right there on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. That's uh, right there on Facebook for anyone to, to post publicly, which we'd love to see. We'd love to see some discussion get stirred up among the, the listeners, or you can send us a private message if you choose, and uh, we can, can go that route with it. Uh, but either way, we'd love to hear from you. If you've got an idea on how this could be implemented, tell us about it. Don't just sit there on it. Uh, help the sport and, uh, and tell us what you're thinking. And uh, if you've got an idea that, that you think could have uh, as great an impact as this or more, we'd love to hear that too, just like what Chris did. So send that to us right there on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. We need to hear from you. And uh, we, we thank our hashtag loyal listener. Chris Cato for that idea again. Luke, who's getting a shout out today? Quick list of shouts. Shouts to the WFC and you guys ruining everything. Shouts to the Gaming Commission. <laughs> shouts to being perfecter. Too perfect. Just perfect enough. Shouts to Andy Schmall, Charlie Lockhart being good at racing. Yeah. Shouts to Steve Boehner and Mike Boner. <laughs> I love it when he's really uh, pounding them. You slid that in like like nobody would catch it. Now, there might have been some listeners asleep, but I was muted, and uh, that was good. So what I do? Yeah. I don't even know. Yeah, huh. amazing. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> my bad, Mike Boehner. You're the man. Uh, get on me. Bust me up on Facebook or something. I deserve it. Uh, great list of shouts, Luke. Really good stuff, um, folks. If you like to tweet, yeah, all that. That stuff I said about the Facebook page, if you can work that in in Twitter, I, Twitter seems like it's got some restrictions on how much you can type in there. I don't really know Twitter that well, but I do see that the posts are really short. So I'm thinking they've got a, a, a number of letters or uh, characters that you can use. What is There's that? There's like? ways around that. Have you seen like you can write a novel on Twitter? You just got to like write it in notes and screenshot it and then post it as a picture. Oh, yeah. Well, there you yeah, go. Just do that. Do just what do you got to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, do whatever it takes, but get us your message. Tell us again what you're thinking about all this, and uh, you can do that again on the Twitter. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. We need to hear from you early and often. As always, we appreciate you tuning in this long, and uh, we enjoyed the, uh, the discussion with you. I will miss next week's show. That'll be Luke Solo. You're going to be uh, as, busy? What do you got yeah, going on? Yeah, I got a little foot break race that oh. I need uh, to attend to, and I'll, I'll be leaving early in the week headed up to that. So uh, I'll miss next week's show, but uh, I'll be back in a couple of weeks, and we'll be talking about all the great performances at the WFC and uh, the, the SFG 500 and, and all the, the great racing that's going to happen over the next little while. So till then, uh, be safe, be healthy, and we will talk to you real soon about more sportsman drag racing. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. 
Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elitist for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.